We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And Oladipo wants it again. Approaching two minutes to play. With What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace on PacersTalk.net. The Indiana Pacers have concluded their five-game road trip with three wins and two losses on Saturday night that faced the New York Knicks, who had just fired David Fisdell. They brought in new head coach for the intern, Mike Miller. The Knicks were inspired, they were feisty, but they weren't good enough free throw shooters, and they missed one of the final two free throws, letting the Pacers squeak out of there with a win, 104-103. to 103. Jeremy Lamb hit a three-point play with about five minutes left to go in the game, and the Pacers did not score again after Jeremy Lamb's three-point play. It was the defense by Miles Turner as he anchored the Indiana Pacers with five blocks in that game, helping the Pacers seal the deal against the New York Knicks. Domantas Sabonis had another stellar game, 19 points, 15 rebounds, two assists, two blocks, and one steal. The only negative, five turnovers. T.J. McConnell was awesome off the bench as well. He had 11 assists. It was a plus six for the game. The Indiana Pacers head home to face the Los Angeles Clippers on Monday. We'll preview that game right after this. What up, everybody? Mike Focci here. And if you haven't already checked it out, go to PacersTalk.net for the latest coverage on all Pacer news. We have game recaps, game previews, and everything you can imagine. Let's go Pacers. 
So the Indiana Pacers are finally back home after a five-game road trip, and they will be playing five of their next six games at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. So if you haven't got your tickets yet, make sure you do that because these are going to be some really fun games, and kicking those games off will be the Los Angeles Clippers making their only appearance at Bankers Life Fieldhouse, and you will get to boo former Indiana Pacer Paul George as he makes his third appearance back at Bankers Life Fieldhouse since requesting a trade. The first two obviously were with Oklahoma City. You also get to see Kawhi Leonard. Now there is a possibility that he does not play because of load management. The Clippers are facing the Washington Wizards Sunday night, so I'm recording this Sunday afternoon around 3.30, so that game has not happened yet. So um, I would expect Kawhi to play against the Pacers, but there is a possibility he could sit out for load management reasons. But with that being said, you know, the Clippers have done pretty good this year. They're 16-7 and overall, you know, just one game better than the Pacers right now. And they're, they just got beat by the Milwaukee Bucks pretty handily on Friday night, and with this roster that the Clippers have put together, I mean, they're they're a threat any night to take anybody down. So just looking at who they have, they've got Kawhi Leonard, of course, who's averaging 24 points a game, 7.7 rebounds, 5.2 assists, 2 steals a game, and almost 1 block a game. And then you bring Paul George, the other wing, 22 points per game. He's got 6 rebounds, 3 assists, 1 steal. And then off the bench, this is where I think the Pacers are going to really struggle in this game is the bench play. Uh, of course, Lou Williams, sixth man of the year last year, he's putting up 20.7 points a game with 6.2 assists. And his counterpart, who was also up for sixth man of the year, Montrez Harrell, he's averaging 18.7 points a game, eight rebounds, and one block. So both Harrell and Lou Williams, of course, are playing starters minutes, so expect to see a heavy dose of them out there. But they have just been so good off the bench, and if you look at the Pacers, they've been putting Sabonis with the bench. You know, it'd be interesting to see um, how Sabonis does against Harrell. Someone that's a little bit quicker is going to be involved in that pick and roll with Lou Williams, and you know, if, if T.J. McConnell is going to be guarding Lou Williams or whomever it may be, whether it's uh, Aaron Holiday, hopefully Malcolm Brogdon's back. That's another thing. We're not sure if Brogdon will be back for this game, so we're going to see how the Pacers stagger their minutes. But you know, whether it's Aaron Holiday or T.J. McConnell on Lou Williams. How are they going to defend this pick and roll? And, you know, it wouldn't be such a bad idea maybe to put Miles Turner with that second unit for a little bit just to try to stop that pick and roll penetration and at least have that rim protection there with Harrell and Williams being so heavily involved together. But, you know, starting-wise, I mean, I think this is going to be the biggest matchup for T.J. Warren. He hasn't really had a super strong defender guarding him all season long. Um, that Well, not, not bad defenders, but good defenders, but nobody has – talented defensively as Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. I mean, those are two of the top wing defenders in the entire NBA. So having those guys on him is going to be tough. I think T.J. Warren will still put up decent numbers because he's just a bucket getter, but that's going to be a tough matchup for him. And and then you got Malcolm Brogdon going up against Patrick Beverly. Uh, say what you want about Patrick Beverly. I'm a huge Pat Beverly guy. I just love the way he plays, and I think that if Aaron Holiday starts, he could be in for a little bit of a rude awakening with Pat Beverly just because, you know, Bev is just who he is and he's not going to quit. He's a dog. And it might be fun to see Aaron versus Pat, you know, just to see those two go at it. But I think that, you know, Beverly could cause some problems. I think the Pacers really have to feast on the big man. Mo Harkless is the starting power forward for the Los Angeles Clippers. And uh, Zubak is the starting center. Now, he's an okay young player, but I think that Sabonis and Turner really have to take advantage here of these two big men down low because if the Pacers want to win this game, you know, trying to outduel the backcourt of the Clippers is not the way to do it. And I and I think that the Pacers need to watch out for double teams. 
from Paul George, from, you know, Mo Harkless is a pretty solid defender, you know, from Kawhi Leonard. All these guys are super long. It's it's the length of this Clippers team that causes so many teams problems defensively. And we saw length cause the Pacers problems when they played the Milwaukee Bucks uh, a couple Saturdays ago. So it's just one of those things where the Pacers are going to take their time and, and just really focus here and, and take care of the basketball because if the Pacers turn the ball over a lot, the Clippers will make you pay. They're one of the best teams at forcing turnovers and it's because of their defense. So, you know, this Clippers team can't, you know, say enough great things about them. I mean, I don't want to overhype them because they're, they're still, you know, trying to figure each other out chemistry-wise. But overall, I mean, they're just – their roster is so deep. Uh, guys off the bench that I like, Jamichael Green and Landry Shamit. You know, I mean, this this team is deep. That's one of the things the Pacers have had an advantage of is their bench has been really good this year. Doug McDermott has been awesome. Justin Holiday has been awesome. Uh, awesome. Ugh, awesome. Cannot talk for some reason. I apologize. But regardless, I mean, this team has been pretty good, you know, 1 through 10, and, and same can go for the Clippers. So really just going to be a game of the pace to take care of the ball, and hopefully they get a little bit of a fatigued Clippers team. That could make a huge difference. The Clippers will be on the second half of a back-to-back, three games in four nights. The Pacers will be playing their third game in four nights. It, it's just kind of crazy. The Pacers go on a five-game road trip, starting last Saturday, ending the following Saturday. So eight days, five games, come home, have to get, you know, come home early Sunday morning, get a little bit of a break, and then they got a game Monday night. Just just a crazy schedule that the NBA can be, and I know that's why some people would like the the, the league to shorten the length of the season, but, you know, it is what it is. These guys are getting paid. This Pacers team is extremely young, so hopefully they'll get some rest on Sunday night, relax, and then be ready to go on Monday because this is a game that is another prove it prove it to the league game. You know they they lost to the the Sixers in a very close game, just poor execution down the stretch, and and you know they they almost blew it to the Knicks, had a hard time closing out against the Pistons. I mean the Pacers have just not been a good late game execution team, and this this Clippers team is is just really good. So you don't want to get into a situation where you're having to face the Clippers in a tight ball game and trying to win against two clutch players and, you know, the Pacers who still have yet to find out who their most clutch player is at this point. Uh, just a, a lot of turnovers in the clutch, can't get the ball in bounds. It's just not been pretty for the Pacers, and that's what you're hoping Oladipo can bring to the team is save them when it's getting close with the game on the line. That's what he does, but still not sure what he's going to do when he gets back. So anyway, guys, I, I think it really just comes down to taking care of the basketball, you know, not overreacting to how talented this team is and just playing your game. Just play your game, Pacers, and you'll be fine. Stay competitive. I mean, prove it to the league that you can beat this Clippers team because, yes, you beat the Utah Jazz, but the Utah Jazz have been struggling, and, you know, it is what it is. The Clippers are much better than the Utah Jazz, you know. Lose a close game to Philadelphia. You lose a close game to Houston, who is a pretty solid Western Conference team as well, without Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner and Jeremy Lamb. So, I mean, you're playing without three of your five starters. So, you know, it's just another opportunity for the Pacers to prove that they are an elite team and they need to win some of these games that are coming up. I mean, looking at the rest of their schedule, they've got the Clippers on Monday. they got the Celtics on Wednesday, the Hawks on Friday, the Hornets on Sunday, then they play the Lakers the following Tuesday, and then the Kings to conclude that six games or five games, uh, five of their six at 
five of their next six at home against the Kings. So there's some winnable games in there, and they've been stuck in that sixth seed for a while. Uh, the Celtics have 16 wins. That's a game we gotta got to at least be competitive in. And, you know, they can win that game. I don't have any doubt they can win that game. And I think they can win that in the interior once again. But it's just it's just one of those things where the Pacers have got to start winning these games at home against better competition to, to move up in the standings. Because if they continue to play good basketball but not great, then they're going to be stuck starting a playoff series on the road. Now, you might say, well, we're going to get Oladipo back. We'll be fine. Well, that's a good argument. But it would much be much better to have a playoff series at home and possibly two. I mean, the Raptors are doing great. The Heat are doing great. The Sixers are doing great. I mean, if you look at the standings right now, Milwaukee is 20-3, and three, and they have won 14 straight. They're not getting out of the one seed. But Boston, Miami, and Philadelphia all have 16 wins. Toronto is 15-6. and six. The Pacers are right there. They're 15-8. and eight. They just have to win some of these games to push through and hopefully get a two or three seed. I mean, they're talented enough. It's just they're going to have to win these games against these good teams to prove that they belong. If not, sure, they can stay in the sixth seed and play a Miami or a Toronto or a Philadelphia or a Boston in the playoffs, but I'd rather have those games at home. So that's why I'm saying defend home court. A lot of these teams have been good at home. And honestly, if you look at the home schedule for those six teams, Milwaukee is 10-1 and one at home. Boston and Miami are both 9-0. Philadelphia is 11-0 at home. And both Indiana and Toronto are 9-2 at home. So all really good home records, but you got to keep winning at home against good teams. So anyway, guys, I'm going to get out of the way. And joining us in the next segment, you guys know him on Twitter, at Scott with Brian. Yes, I get it. There is some questions of who he is, why he is the way that he is, but he addresses all that. And he gives you a little insight on the Pacers, what he's seen from them so far. He spent seven years in the NBA. I think he's got a lot of good basketball knowledge. So whether you like him or not, I think that you will enjoy his content here on this podcast as he kind of shows you what the Pacers are and aren't. So anyways, I'm going to get out of the way, and uh, we'll talk to Scott Brian. Joining us right now on Setting the Pace, you guys know him on Twitter as Scott with Brian. It's Brian Oringer. Brian, what's going on, man? Doing good, Alex. How are you? I'm doing excellent. And the Pacers just got off a five-game road trip with a with a tight win there against the New York Knicks. What what have you been noticing about the Pacers so far this season? You know, I think they're just a uh, a really well coached, uh, scrappy team. Um, you know, I think obviously, you know, missing their best player is a is something a lot of guys have to compensate for, but they've done a pretty good job of it. I think Brogdon obviously is having a, a career year. I think Sabonis has really stepped his game up, and you know they have a whole bunch of uh, role players that just kind of you know know their job and, and do their do what the team needs to win. Um, and I think so far it's been a, a pretty good formula and, and has them in a good position to to really thrive. Um, you know when he gets back out there. Now you did a little piece on uh, Demontis Sabonis that you posted on YouTube. And I would like for you just to kind of recap that that piece. That way you don't give out all the information and people can go check it out. But just kind of a breakdown of what you were uh, showing on that video. So, yeah, I mean, I really uh, took a look at the whole team, actually. It's just a video kind of showing, you know, what their identity is, how they've been able to to still be successful, um, you know, even without Vic. And, yeah, Sabonis 
is a big part of that. I mean, I, I showcase, you know, what a phenomenal passer he is, how how good of a mid-range shooter, um, you know, what, what a good screen setter he is, how he can still play in the post and bang and do some of the old school stuff. Um, you know, just a really versatile game that, that I think is – uh, you know, stepped up even more, like I said, in, in needing to take a bigger role this season. But, yeah, I mean, I talked a ton about, you know, how they uh, just play basketball. You know, they take the open shot, whether it be uh, Brogdon from mid-range, Lamb, TJ uh, Warren, uh, McConnell even, you know, all those guys just are, are not afraid to to take a 17-18 foot pull up. And, uh, you know, they're shooting at, at a really high level. And as a team, you know, I think they're, what, like top 10 in defensive rating. So they're you know, they, they grind it out defensively. They, they really uh, make you work for just about everything. And, you know, to me, I think Nate McMillan's just one of the best coaches in the league. And, uh, you know, I, I think they're uh, – I picked them to win 50 games this season, and it's looking like they might even win more than that if, uh, if Vic comes back, you know, anytime soon. Yeah, we're still not sure on that timetable for Vic's return. Uh, I think that we're just trying to be cautious with that. Don't want him to get hurt, especially with the way the team has been playing. You know, have a favorable schedule, but they're still winning the games you got to win. And so, you know, a lot of people have made a big deal about the Pacers not shooting enough threes and shooting too many mid-range shots. And what is your take on the amount of threes being shot in today's NBA and how the Pacers are attacking that? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's a little bit of – when everybody else zigs, sometimes you you have to zag to it, you know, and, and mm-hmm. you see plenty of teams that are, you know, there's not a perfect correlation between just taking threes and, and being a good offensive team. There's plenty of teams that take a ton of threes, uh, like Chicago, for example, and, and don't make them and just can't win games. You know, I think I think the Pacers have guys, uh, you know, like Lamb, for example, who's, who's normally a pretty good three-point shooter, but he's not shooting it great from there this season but he's you know he's really good at like a seven eight foot push floater he's really good from the elbows uh warren you know he's shooting the ball well from three but he's in his career been more of a mid-range player overall mcconnell's always been you know a mid-range guy for the most part bonus you know hasn't really been able to extend it to three all that much so you know i think it's mostly just a function of you know that's kind of their personnel and that's where those guys are are most comfortable um, shooting the ball from, and you know when you have teams playing this uh, the drop coverage that they do in the NBA, which is basically you know the big man's pretty much under the basket on a pick and roll, and they're just conceding uh, wide open elbow pull ups. You know that that's the open shot, and I think uh, you know Indiana's taking the open shot, and and so far you know I I don't think you can really uh, complain about the results all that much. No, I don't think so either. I mean, they're getting wins. It just might not be the way that you would like to see them do it based on the way analytics are being used in today's game. But it's also about the roster construction. You know, if you don't have consistent three-point shooters and guys that can constantly hit them down, you know, don't force yourself, like you said, with the Bulls. Don't force them to shoot those. So uh, another big thing that's kind of been a, a topic all season long and all off season long was the pairing of the two bigs in the starting lineup. Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis. How are the Pacers going to do this? Now, recently, McMillan has been substituting Sabonis out in the first and third quarters around the five to six minute mark and then bringing him back in with about two minutes left in the first and third quarters to play with the second unit. What are your thoughts on the way he's staggering those two together and what have you seen and from those two big men playing in the starting lineup? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's working relatively well. I mean, it's, it's never going to be... Uh, a perfect pairing, and I think the main reason for that is, is honestly because of, uh, you know, the fact that neither of them are really legitimate stretch bigs. I mean, I know 
Um, you know, Sabonis obviously shoots it really well from mid-range. Turner's, he shoots the ball well from three, but he's, he's never going to be like a really high-volume guy. He doesn't have a super quick release. Um, you know, so in today's NBA, you obviously see so many kind of small ball stretch fours that are they're basically just wings. You know, they're basically three-point shooting wings who just happen to be, you know, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, and they, they play, uh, you know, the, the small ball four. But, yeah, I mean, Indiana basically has two really gifted players who, who both are, are probably, uh, you know, fives. It, playing the five is their best position, but I, I think they found a way to complement each other reasonably well. You know, Sabonis, I think, is, is more of the banger, obviously. He's more of the, you know, the role guy, the guy who, uh, you know, offensive rebounds, has a little more toughness around the basket, and, and Turner is, you know, he's playing his role. He's facing the floor. Occasionally, he'll post up against a mismatch, but, uh, you know, he's done a good job, like I said, keeping the floor spread, catching, shooting, making shots when he needs to. Um, you know, and then, like you said, I think uh, Coach has done a good job finding out a good way to stagger them and then still play with some of those kind of small lineups with, like, Warren at the four and, and get the bonus playing with that second unit and, you know, just find ways to make it work. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, long-term it's obviously still, uh, you know, like I said, it's not perfect, so if you ever get great value for one of them, I'm sure you look at it. But I, I think, like I said, that they uh, have found a way to play together and, and to play even without each other pretty darn well and be part of a, uh, you know, pretty strong winning group. Right, and I think we saw last night the importance of Miles Turner with his defensive presence there, keeping the Knicks, really. I think he had three or four block shots there in the last little stretch, or at least he had some contests down there, where he basically forced the Knicks to miss, and it was a crazy, crazy game on uh, Saturday night. But the, the one thing that a lot of fans are saying is that Miles Turner is not being used properly, not getting enough looks, not being able to really get into an offensive rhythm while Sabonis is pretty much involved in every offensive action when he's out there on the court. Do you think that the Pacers could maybe try to split that up a little bit more and get Miles more involved in the pick-and-roll and the pick-and-pop situation? Or do you think that the way that McMillan is using him is the best way for this team to succeed? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's a little bit of both. I, first of all, you, you made a good point. I, I totally forgot to just even mention his his defense and his, you know, blocking shots and impacting things at the rim. I think he's doing a great job of that. And to me, you know, might be the best or one of the best uh, couple shot blockers in the league. He does a really good job on that end. But, yeah, I mean, offensively, I, I think, uh, you know, Sabonis is a little bit in kind of like that Draymond role where you kind of run some of, a lot of the offense through him, and he's a great passer, and he gets the ball moving side to side, and he sets so many screens. And, you know, I think Turner um, – you know, he sets the occasional pick and roll, the occasional pick and pop. Uh, but I think Sabonis, you know, he's just such a, a good guy to kind of run the offense through as, as well as Brogdon. But he just he moves the ball side to side. He's so unselfish. He's such a good passer. Um, so, you know, if Turner's, uh, you know, if touches are important to him and if he seems to be unhappy with his role, then, then sure, I guess you look at trying to find more ways to, to maybe have him, you know, get a little more involved. But I think for the Pacers, I think a big part of his role, honestly, is, is spacing the floor. You know, I think just the threat of him making corner threes or threes from the slot uh, it gives them a lot of space for their offense, and I think that's kind of what Nate is asking him to do, is just kind of make defenses guard him out there, and, uh, you know, when they're guarding him out there, that's what kind of opens uh, then those mid-range shots, you know, for Brogdon, for uh, Lamb, and Warren on all those guys, so I, I think he's playing his role fine right now, but I, I do agree, you know, that 
maybe you could find a way to, to get him a little more involved if, uh, if that's something that, you know, uh, that he needs or team feels he needs for sure as well. Right, right. So looking at the re- the rest of the Eastern Conference here, what do you think the Pacers are missing to really be a, a serious contender in the Eastern Conference? Because they've been stuck in the sixth spot for a while. A lot of the, the top teams just continue to keep winning. And the, the Pacer fans are just wanting this Pacers team to succeed and, you know, get a chance at the Eastern Conference Finals possibly. I mean, do you think that they're talented enough right now to reach that? Or, or do you think there's still some pieces they could upgrade? And where do you think they should work at to upgrade those areas? Yeah, well, I think, you know, right now, I think, uh, to me, they're kind of the definition of a, of a really gritty, you know, fun team to watch that could compete for 50 wins, but is, is missing a superstar. And, you know, once uh, hopefully Vic comes back, I mean, he's, he's proven he can kind of be that guy uh, for you all. So I think, uh, you know, if, if you look at it realistically, if he comes back and is even close to 90% of himself or 80% of himself or whatever, you know, then I, I think they're in really good shape. I think they're... Um, you know, a- able to compete with anybody in the East. Uh, and to me, I think it's Milwaukee and then everybody else, I think, is... Uh, I'm a big believer in, in Boston and Miami and, and Indiana. And, uh, you know, Toronto's really stunned a lot of people, but they're still obviously an elite-level uh, team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I you know, nitpicking, uh, small-type wish list maybe. I mean, that kind of stretch four, I think, w- would help them a lot. You know, a guy like Philly has and Tobias, you know, you... You guys have, like I said, Warren shooting the ball well, and he's, he's you know, good from the mid-range. He's been good for you guys, but, you know, he's a three, realistically. I, I think if somehow there was some sort of uh, floor spacing, like a Bertans type or something uh, that the Wizards have, you know, I, I think that guy uh, could potentially help your team a lot, um, kind of like the role, you know, Bogdanovich uh, played at times, I think um, could certainly help the offense a little bit. Yeah, now Bertans would be an interesting piece to go after, especially with Washington kind of having the season they're having, you know, uh, below average season um, just because they're just injured and their roster's not very good. But, you know, there's there's guys out there definitely the Pacers could, you know, use, and I agree, we've been talking about it on this podcast for a while, is they never really got a power forward. I mean, their best power forward on the roster right now is TJ Leaf. I mean, and he's not even in the rotation, so they don't really have a power forward. And with the second unit, they're playing McDermott and Justin Holiday in those forward positions. So just really undersized. I like what the bench has done this year so far, but I'm just, I feel like you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, it's just, you got to find that power forward that can really just help this team. And, you know, Turner is kind of being used as a stretch four in a sense, but uh, defensively, I think that, you know, trying to put some bonus on forwards like Blake Griffin and those kind of guys, it's going to be difficult for him to guard the perimeter successfully. So um, anything else that you have noticed about this team that I haven't brought up? Uh, I think we hit on most. Uh, Aaron Holiday is pretty darn good. i got to give him uh, a little credit. I mean, he's going to be a heck of a uh, third or whatever point guard um, when Vic comes back. He, he can play. He's yeah. a good shooter, good mid-range player, crafty. Um, like you mentioned, uh, I mean, Holiday obviously – makes threes off the bench that's the nice thing i think that you know that you guys have uh have guys who can make threes and that's why you're one of the top uh what is it three or so percentage three-point teams in the league it's just not super high volume you know because they're they're bench players or they're um you know guys that just don't don't take a ton but holiday has done a great job i mean mcdermott i think is 
uh, I mentioned in my video, you know, he comes in and just runs off a million pin downs and you can run plays for him and just kind of uh, gives you an added uh, wrinkle to the offense if things aren't really going well for everybody else. So, no, I mean, I think uh, they do a lot of different things well. Brogdon is, you know, him averaging almost eight assists, I think, is incredible to me, the, the leap he's made and, and you know, how, how well he's uh, passed the ball playing out of the pick and roll. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a fun team to watch, and uh, I really do think that, you know, when Vic comes back, to me, I think they're right there at the, at the top of the East. Well, that's that's exciting, and I, I guess there is one person I wanted to ask you about because he's not getting a ton of playing time, but that is the rookie, Gogo Bataze. I wanted to get your thoughts on him. I don't know if you scouted him or looked at his tape when the when the draft was going on and what you thought of him before entering the season, but you know, a lot of Pacer fans are excited about his potential and his future. Do you do you think there's anything there with Goga from what you've seen so far? Yeah, I like him. I, uh, I I didn't actually, it's funny, I didn't watch any of them pre-draft or know anything about him, but, mm-hmm. you know, from the few uh, five or so Pacers games that I watched, I, I was impressed with him. I think he, he sets really, you know, really good screens. He's a, a big body, obviously. He's got good touch around the rim, you know, good floaters, good little jump hook. Um, you know, he, he can make like uh He's got range, what, to like 18, 20 feet? I, I think he makes a few kind of pick and pops to the elbows, a little bit like Sabonis. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I like what I've seen. He's obviously got that size and, uh, you know, a little bit of that Euro uh, flair to the game in terms of, you know, just, just being a high IQ player and good passer. And, uh, yeah, I mean, still really, really early, obviously, but he certainly looks like he, he could be a, uh, a solid, you know, rotational big going forward. Yeah, no, and I think that's the thing with him. There's a lot of potential there. I think, you know, his development, playing overseas, playing with men since he was pretty much 15 years old. I mean, he's he's been around good basketball players for a long time, and I think one thing I've noticed, he's done a good job of not getting into, into silly foul trouble for a young big man, even though he only plays a few minutes a game right now. He's doing a much better job of trying to play straight-up defense without – you know, getting into big men like you can as a rookie, you know how that is. So, uh, so last thing, I don't want to, I don't want to keep touching on the Pacers here, but my last thing for you is a personal question. So, you know, uh, your Twitter account is very alive and kicking, and there's a, a lot of stuff that goes on on your Twitter account where you get people coming at you. You're you're calling people out. So, what makes, what drives you to call out people? What drives you to get fiery on Twitter and? have all these little Twitter feuds with, you know, these bloggers, I guess you could say, uh, on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I've, I've just tried to, to be real and authentic. And I, you know, I, I uh, my personality, I mean, the way I, I play basketball, the way I coach basketball, I'm, I'm a little bit fiery. I mean, I I worked for, for Gary Williams and Randy Whitman, who was a Bob Knight disciple. And, you know, Gary was a a legendary uh, college yeller, you know, so I uh, I inherited a little bit of that from them. I think I'm a little bit, uh, you know, fiery as a person, obviously, but I, I think in general, um, you know, you know, you, you followed me long enough that I think there is just a lot of uh, a lot of nonsense out there. A lot of the kind of big names on Twitter um, don't really have the credentials or, or don't really, uh, you know, understand the game well enough to analyze it and, and take shots at NBA coaches and do the things they do. And I, I've just tried to kind of speak my mind and, and provide a, uh, a new perspective. So at the end of the day, I mean, it is it is Twitter. It's not real life. I mean, I've, I've been happy to, to hop on any podcast and have conversations, even with people that I've 
I feuded with, so it's it's never personal. I don't I don't hate anybody. We're not gonna you know get in the streets and start fighting or anything. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just tried to to kind of provide a little bit of a of a coach's perspective, somebody that was on the inside. And uh, you know, it's nothing against bloggers in general. There's there's plenty of great bloggers. There's plenty of great writers. But you know, there are bad ones, and I just haven't really shied away from uh, from calling out some of the some of the nonsense that's been out there. So. Well, I, I like that you keep it real, man. I'm glad we haven't got into it yet. Um, I'm sure I'm sure maybe that might come someday if I say something stupid. But anyway, uh, Brian, I really appreciate it. You guys can follow uh, Brian on at Scout with Brian on Twitter. And where else can we find you at? Yeah, pretty much everywhere. Just Scout with Brian with a Y, uh, scoutwithbrian.com, Scout with Brian on YouTube, Scout with Brian podcast. Pretty much you type that in anywhere and uh, and you'll find me. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll have to have you on again soon. Appreciate you having me, Alex. Thank you. Alrighty, Pacer fans. That does it for another episode here of Setting the Pace on PacersTalk.net. You can follow us on Twitter at SettingThePace3 and on Instagram at PacersTalk. We will talk to you all Wednesday morning. Let's go Pacers, and peace out, Pacer Nation. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.